Well, good morning. Glad to have you this morning on this beautiful Friday morning. We're thankful for the weather. I don't know about you all. For the southerner, this, this is great. It's warm enough. It's warm enough to uh, help us survive through. And uh, so thank you for being here this morning. Um, we've been sharing some photos of my son. I thought we'd do equal time. There's my daughter. There's Nurse Kylie. She's uh, there at St. Thomas Hospital in uh, downtown Nashville holding one of the little ones. That's what she does. She... Uh, at this, she kind of rotates between the three departments in the, uh, in the labor and delivery department. Uh, some days she gets shifted over to delivering, some days in the NICU, but for the most part she's in what they call the postpartum section, and that is just uh, caring for the moms and the little ones after they're born. She gets to do a lot of training with uh, the moms, with uh, especially new moms and new dads who are just kind of asking a lot of questions. That's kind of her She's got a real gift of teaching and all of that, so she just loves it, and they love her, and uh, so, so there you go. Let's pray together today. Lord Jesus, thank you for all the blessings of this day, um, even the ones we don't yet see. You've got so much for us today because you're a good God. Um, you, your goodness goes on and on and on. Um, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And so um, thank you today for all this church family that we have, this body of Christ that you have been gifted us with. Um, we, we are not just talking about the body of Christ today. We get to experience it right here on Syker. And uh, as you shape us in uh, these moments, these next three days, to prepare us to go back and to be that member of the body where you've placed us back at home. And I'm asking you to work in my own life and our lives that when we go back, that Jesus, the holiness and uh, the, the overflow of your life, we kind of go back there with us and make a difference there where you've placed us for such a time as this. Thank you for placing us here for 10 days. But Lord, thank you for placing us where uh, we live those other 355 days of the year. We love you today, and we just ask your spirit to completely reveal and uh, convict our hearts and point us to Jesus throughout this morning and in the service to follow, and uh, in all the places where we're meeting today on this grounds. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God, God bless you. Thank you for coming again. So uh, right away, we are, uh, we're looking back to uh, 1 Corinthians 12. And as I shared yesterday, we're getting into this section where um, we're now talking about the body of Christ. And there are two main ideas in the body of Christ that Paul wants to emphasize. One is that, as we said yesterday, there are many members... And we talked about that. So I want you to know um, we really uh, worked through the night, prayed, and uh, uh, there was a large investment that came in. There's some brand new technology we have uh, at our disposal this morning. So I don't even need uh, the clicker this morning. Um, this technology is so amazing. Whenever I want the slide to change, I'm just going to go like that. There's this built-in. I have built-in technology. See, that's amazing technology. It's a cybergenic technology built into I had an implant put in my finger last night. So... Uh, so we're, we're into this gifts of the Spirit, and um, in case you missed it, the big takeaway of the whole section on the gifts of the Spirit that leads into this discussion of the body is that He is the source. He is the source. So there's a great freedom in that and a great joy in that, in that I don't even need to worry about what gift I have or how to develop that gift or whatever, uh, practice that gift. It's just look to Him, depend upon Him, and it's an amazing thing how God can take regular people just like us, and Jesus does extraordinary things through people just like us. That's what the book of Acts is, after all. 
It's just regular folks. Isn't it? Aren't you encouraged when you read Acts and you're going, yeah, those guys are just like me. You know, they're kind of don't know what they're doing and scratching themselves half the time and they're kind of lost. And yet Jesus comes, when the Spirit comes and fills people like that, these amazing things take place. And that's, that, that's the thing about his sourcing. His sourcing. You don't need to, you know, you've heard the saying so many times, God does not, um, God does not call those who are able, he enables those who are called, right? It's just, it's, it's not your ability, it's your availability. And so we, we need to concentrate. And one, 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 um, sometimes I, I just kind of am praying for, sometimes in, in, in church, it seems like we emphasize ability, you know. And sometimes, uh, like in my denomination, for, for example, one of the things I'm not, I'm not criticizing, I'm just kind of saying it, the message, I'm concerned, I want the right message to come through. Sometimes we uh, have like... Uh, things for the youth, and we have these big gatherings for youth, and it's, it's a talent. Now, we, for fun, here at camp, we have a talent show, you know, but sometimes uh, we have these gatherings, we have a talent competition, and, and sometimes the, the things that are said is, you know, give your talents to Jesus. We, Jesus needs your talents, and the truth of the matter is Jesus doesn't need my talents. He doesn't need my talents. He needs just my availability for him to do something through me that I can't do. And that's the takeaway here. Don't worry about the gift. Focus on him and let him work in your life. So then in the second, um, as we move into the second part of the chapter, beginning of verse 12, we're talking about then the, uh, the body then. And so you've got this picture of the body in verses 12 to 27 and, and these two big points. Yesterday we focused on the first of those in verses 14 to 19 that there's many members not just one. Hey, you Corinthians. Yo, Corinthians. It's not just one gift. You guys have been making it one gift. Big deal on one gift. And you guys have been trying to almost make everybody cookie cutters. So don't do that. Yes, there are many members. And that's, there, there are many members, not just one. And there's this beautiful, incredible, I, I never get over the variety of the gifts of the Spirit in the, in the body of Christ. And, and of course, the list we have in verses 8 through 10 is not exhaust. I don't think it's exhaustive. I think it's a sampling just to make the point. That see, even just, I'm just giving you a few, he says, but see how there's more than one. And by the way, the one you guys emphasize is last in the list. Ha <laughs> ha. You know, so the point he's making is there's many, there's this incredible variety. The, the word used three times, verse 4, 5, 6, variety, variety, or diversities. So then we're moving on to the second part. Once you get that, but don't, don't go so far in the individual thing that you get too individualistic. It's important also that that be balanced. And by the way, Jesus is the only one that maintains balance, right? As people, we're pretty, Im anybody here imbalanced besides me? We get pretty imbalanced. You ever notice how we're imbalanced? It's always like, um, you know, even in parenting, there's this swing between, I, I never get it right almost, right? Like uh, in my own ability, there's either I'm too harsh or I'm, you know, it's too much law or it's too much grace and I never get that right. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And Jesus always, Jesus is the perfect balance in all things. So only Jesus can maintain this balance. That's why he must be our source and our focus. So the other focus here is that, you know, although, although we're, each of you are gifted in unique ways, he's going to work through you in a unique way in this body, but don't forget that we are one body. One body. We are one. And so that's where we're looking today and tomorrow as we look to verses 20 through 26, 
this emphasis on one body. So for this morning, I'm just going to focus on the first part of that discussion in verses 20 through 22. One of the messages of the one body is how we need each other. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about his values that he gives us, how he gives us his values. We have his vision and his values. But today, we're going to talk about in this one body how we need each other. So listen for that in verse 20 through 22. Um, He says this, but now indeed there are many members, yet one body. He wants to make that point very strongly. And so therefore, the eye cannot say to the hand, oh boy, more talking body parts, huh? The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. So um, the main point here is the idea that we need one another. In this one body, there's a very strong message here. I hope you're okay with this. It's just biblical. Again, uh, uh, one, one of the things of Bible study is I, I don't go to the Scripture to try to prove what I already think. I want to go to the Word and let the Word shape and change what I think. That's honest biblical interpretation. You know, all, all day long, you know, we, you know, I, I, I always hear this, like, people are, are at work or whatever, and there's the Baptist guy, and he's got his verses, and then us holiness people, us Wesleyan people have our verses, you know, and you, you're always trying to, you know, I pull out my verses, and he pulls out his verses. I don't want to have my verses and his verses. I just want it to be the truth. And Jesus, I want you to change what I think, no matter, no matter what that is. I want you to shape me. So I'm just coming to this, and I'm coming to this honestly today. And if you look at these verses honestly, there is an emphasis on the fact that no matter how you want to say it, in the body of Christ, we need each other. We need one another. So if you look at the emphasis there, go ahead, Amanda. Notice the word that in verse 21, the word need is repeated. Again, always in biblical study, you know, in my Walmart notebook, I'm looking for repetition. If there's something repeated, that's got to be important. So notice the word need that is repeated in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. I think what's happening there in verse 21 is Paul is, and he does this a lot, um, in one, one of his writing styles is what I call diatribe. One of Paul's writing styles is um, when he writes, it's not him saying it, he's, he's mimicking what you would be saying, if that makes sense. Paul's like giving an example, this is what you guys are saying, or this is what the world says. So in verse 21, Paul is giving this kind of a, a flavor or a taste of an attitude of the world. In the world... The attitude is, I don't have need of you. I, I don't need you. And that's a little bit of maybe what was happening in this body of Christ at Corinth. There were some of the Christians that were into this little clique or in this little group, and they thought they were superior to everybody else, and they kind of had the idea that, yeah, there, there's some of us here that are important and some of us here that are in our little group, but the rest of you we don't really need. You guys aren't that important because you don't have the gift. So he's coming along and saying, now let's look at this in the world. That's the attitude. Remember he said back up in verse 2, you guys used to act like the pagans. Why are you still doing that? One of the problems here at Corinth was unsanctified living. 
You're, you're trying to be in the church and live for Christ, yet you're bringing the whole old style of the world with you, and that's happening here again. I have no need of you. In the Greek, um, it, it's an interesting thing. In Greek, um, certain words are emphasized because of their word order in the sentence. It, I'll tell you, in short, sometimes when things are placed first or placed before something else in Greek, that would be the equivalent of underlining it or doing it in all capitals. And so in, the, in that quote, when it says, I have no need of you, um, the, wor- the words need of you are emphasized in the, in the Greek. And so it would sound like this, I have no need of you. I may need other people, but I have no need of you. Don't need you. And he's saying that, that's the attitude that's being reflected. That's what the world does. The world says, I don't need you. I don't need you. I don't need you. And in the church now, you guys are starting to act like that. There's this whole gift thing. So I think you know that in the world, there are no, no matter how you slice it, without Jesus, there is no such thing as a healthy relationship, right? Everybody understand that? Without Jesus, there can be no, apart from God, we cannot have healthy relationships. And so apart from Jesus, we tend towards, in human relationships, we, we gravitate towards one of two extremes. One of the extremes we gravitate towards without Jesus is an un... See, we, we, we don't know healthy interdependence. In the body of Christ, in Christ, we need each other in a healthy, Christ-like, spirit-filled way. But apart from Jesus, we don't know how to do that. We don't know we aren't that. So we gravitate towards these one of two unhealthy extremes. One is an unhealthy dependency. Without Jesus and him being the source and provider and the one who meets our needs, what ends up happening is we look to other people to meet our needs. You know what I mean? Another term for that is idolatry. The, the, the really, the biblical definition of idolatry is not just bowing down to a statue, you know, I went to Hawaii one time, and we went out in the hills. There's little piles of rocks with fruit on top. I said, what's that? They said, oh, those, those, are, those are sacrifices to some god or goddess. And I said, well, I don't have any of those at my house, so I must not be into idolatry. Then I get into 1 Corinthians 10 and realize, oh, idolatry is when you look to a person or a thing to meet your need instead of Jesus. Oh, I do that all the time. I've looked to my wife to meet my needs. I've looked to my children to meet my needs. I've looked to preaching to meet my needs. So I have been an idolater of my wife. I've idolized my children. I've idolized ministry because I've looked to something besides him to meet my need. So without Jesus, without him being our supply, we have to figure out something. We have to humanly try to do something to meet a need. So oftentimes in our world, we're into unhealthy dependency or codependency. It's the picture of the guy, he can't live without her, right? It's that, no, if you, if you walk away, you're taking away everything that I need. So unhealthy codependency, you know, it, it's desperately looking to that person. Now, there's a healthy way for this to be in, in, in Christ-like marriage. But without Jesus, it becomes an unhealthy codependency in a relationship. By the way, this happens in churches too, doesn't it? Sometimes in church, we can, in an unhealthy way, look to certain people to be our solution instead of Jesus. Maybe that doesn't happen at your churches, but I've seen it. I went to my second church, and uh, <laughs> how much of this should I tell? 
So I went to my second church, and uh, so I walk into this situation, and uh, I realize that um, there is some immorality happening on the, on the church board between a couple board members. And um, anyway, so as a pastor, and I consulted, of course, with my district superintendent, and it was the idea of we, we really need to address this, and uh, this, this, this needs to be fixed. But, but the whole backlash that came uh, was that we can't make it without those people. So what I came to find out was that had been going on for a while and there were blind eyes being turned the other way to a situation because we can't live without that money. Now maybe it's not in your church, maybe it's not that kind of situation, but all the time in churches we're looking to people saying, we don't want to upset fill in the blank, because we could never do without them. That's what I would call an unhealthy codependency, would you not? <laughs> Instead of looking to Jesus. Now, I'm not saying I want to offend people on purpose or run them off. I do it by accident constantly, all right? So I, I'm not saying I want to do that on purpose, but I'm saying, I mean, with a pure heart, I want to look to Jesus to be the salvation and the provider of our church, not people. But in the world, without Jesus, we gravitate towards that extreme or, or the other extreme that we gravitate towards without Jesus is unhealthy, unhealthy independence. And we learn to cope by saying, well, I just don't need anybody. Unhealthy codependency says, I, I can't live without people. I can't, I got to have any, and it's this desperation that we, we got to cling to or hold on to whatever, and, and idolatry. On the other hand, some of us say, well, I'm, I'm just to protect myself, to provide myself some, some shielding from the hurt or the pain that I feel. I'm going to just say, I don't need anybody. And, and all, all over the place in the Western world, um, we, in, in the Western world, in, in, in America, we, we tend towards an unhealthy um, independence. Now, independence is a great thing. That's part of, you know, America and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, individualism and, you know, it's Western and it's the Frank Sinatra, you know, and did it my way, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's on my own person and all that kind of stuff. And we, but, we, but that can get really unhealthy too, right, where I don't need anybody. I mean, it's really bad to say I can't live without certain people. I, I just can't do it. But it's also equally unhealthy to say I don't, I don't need anybody, right? And in America, we kind of tend towards that. And I think you know that over the last few decades especially, there's this social dynamic where we just, we, we don't like to be around people, you know, for the most part. In the old days, um, even when I started traveling back in the, in the early 90s, Airplane travel was much different than it is now. You used to like converse. I know I've watched this dynamic over the last 30 years, even, you know, cell phones and everything. We just don't talk to any, you don't talk to people at the airport or in the person seat next to you. You're just kind of going, I hope they don't talk to me, right? It's, it's, this, it's this kind of a, in the neighborhoods that we live in, in suburbs, um, social scientists call it cocooning. That's a literal term for what's going on in the, in the neighborhoods that we live in, cocooning. You can like live in your cocoon, right? You know, people drive home, they, they can. Commute home, they commute somewhere for work, they drive home, garage door goes up, car goes in, garage door goes down, you're not going to see them again until that happens tomorrow, you know, garage door up, out, you know, back. It's this cocooning kind of a thing. And we just, I don't need anybody. So either one of those is just as unhealthy. But I think you know that the body of Christ is neither one of those, it is, it is quite different. The body of Christ, instead of saying me, it's we. 
And so that's why he says, he says, the eye cannot say to the hand. You cannot say, in the body of Christ, you cannot say, I don't need you. He says it again, the second half of the verse, nor again, the head, the feet, I have no need of you. You cannot say that. It is not possible to say that in the body of Christ. So therefore, we really do need one another. That's the, that's the proposal here. That's the truth. We actually need one another. So that word in Greek, the word need, that's uh, translated there twice in verse 21, the word need literally means a need, a want, or a necessity. If you look to some of the scriptures that I've listed up there, you're going to see that other times this place is used in scripture, it's talking about like the needs of life, like the basic needs of life. Let's go through those, for, for example. Matthew 6, 8, uh, for example, Jesus says, Do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. You know, these, you know, these basic necessities of life kind of thing. Over there in Matthew chapter 9, um, verse 12, again, Jesus speaking says, uh, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician. We're, again, we're talking about basic necessities of life. And then over in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, those who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. All those examples of the word need are the same Greek word that's here in 1 Corinthians 12, 21. We have a need. We need. And so the suggestion here is that um, this need for fellowship, this need for relationship, is just as God-designed and just as important as having water to drink today. As much as you and I need water, uh, by the way, I hope you're hydrating well here on the campgrounds. Everybody hydrating well? Okay. So as, as much as you need to hydrate, as much as you need food today, and as much as you need sleep, you need fellowship in Christ. It's not like this extra thing, make sure you get enough sleep, make sure you eat, make sure you, know, you drink enough, and if you, if you get around to having relationship with others, that would be an added bonus, <laughs> The suggestion here is that we need each other in the same way that I need water, that I need air. It is one of the basic, very basic necessities of life. See, we, we need people, we, we see people as needed, that, that gives us a view of people and our relationships in the body as not just optional, but we really do need each other. We, we see each other as, as a need and necessary. Now, this is, this is very different from the world's view of people, and I think you know this. In the world, in the world, in the world people really matter when you need them for something. You know what I'm saying? You really treasure people. It's kind of like when you walk into a store and there's a salesperson that just falls all, falls all over you and says, wow, I, I really feel needed. Well, that's because they're trying to sell you something. If you decide not to buy something, watch the change in demeanor, right? 
This happens all the time with telemarketers who call, you know, you know, this flowery, whatever, and then when you say, I'm not interested, thanks, bye. You know. You, you're, you matter when you're needed for something. I think of this with uh, Walmart. Now, I, 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 I think I've shared with you before, to me, Walmart is a necessary evil. Some of us view Walmart as a recreational experience, not, not me. <laughs> For me, the whole goal is to get in, get out as fast as possible. Now, I want to say, say that it's really great having the Walmart, like I think it's like 20 minutes from our house, and that, so that, that's great. That's great. I mean, if it was closer, that's great too, but I'm really thankful I don't have to drive 30 or 40 minutes to Walmart, so I'm very grateful that we have that one, and so I want everybody in our community to keep patronizing our, I want everybody in our community to keep, keep using our Walmart. I do want people to go to our Walmart so it'll stay open. However, if they could go when I'm not there, that would be better. <laughs> I've kind of wondered about having a sign-up sheet. You know, I don't, what do you think? If we could have a sign-up sheet, you, here's, your, here's your time slot to go to Walmart, and I'll have my time slot, you have your time slot, then that would eliminate a lot of, a lot of traffic. This is the same uh, dynamic as, uh, this is a picture of Southwest Airlines, and about half the time, some, about half the time I drive, half the time I fly, almost exclusively, we fly on Southwest Airlines, and it's always a very beautiful, wonderful announcement on Southwest when, uh, if you've ever done it, there's always this beautiful, wonderful announcement when the pilot comes on and he says, this flight's not going to be full today, and you say, yes, because that means the middle seat might be empty. You don't have to sit right next to somebody. Yes. Now, again, I really... Please fly Southwest. I, I really appreciate the company staying open. It's a great company. It's a great airline. And I really appreciate all the routes they have in and out of Nashville. But if there could be fewer people, that's, that'd be great too. We appreciate people. We love people. We, people matter to us. They really do, as long as we need them for something. That can be awfully true sometimes with church. You really matter to us because we need you. <laughs> you know, sometimes our eyes kind of see people. It can be so easy as a pastor for me, so easy to see these people walk in the church and your eyes start to see them as how can they help us, you know. And they matter because we need them. But I think you know that that's not the way the kingdom works and that's not the way Jesus is talking here. See, the kingdom values are not that people matter because we need them. We need them because they matter. Does that make sense? I mean, we need you. We really do need you. You know why? Because you matter to Jesus and you matter to us, so therefore we really need you. See how reversed that is? It doesn't matter what you do for us. We really need you because you really matter. That's what's totally reversed from the world. In the world, you sure matter because we need you, and when we don't need you, then you don't matter. But in the kingdom, it never changes how much we need you because you always matter to Jesus, and that never changes, right? And it changes my whole view of people and, and things. Now, again, I understand tonight, I, or this morning, I understand that Jesus is our provision. I understand that, and Paul would say that, like, hands down. Paul has been saying that all letter long. So I don't want, don't, don't be confused that this is idolatry when we say we need people because Jesus is the provider of all of our needs, Amen. He really is. However, isn't it also true that Jesus often or even most often does that through people? 
when you have needs met in your life, isn't it often true or mostly often that God does that through somebody? It's an incarnational thing. God has chosen somehow in the infiniteness of his wisdom and, and sovereignty and providence, God has chosen to so knit us together that he ministers to us through each other. It's an incarnational deal. And so I understand we need Jesus, but so often he ministers through us. So we make the conclusion in verse 22 here then that, that not only are those who are the weak members, they are ne- he says they're necessary there in chapter 12, verse 22. Those members of the body which seem to be weaker. Now, now those kind of people in the world, we would not regard them very much because they can't do a lot for us. We don't need them very much, so, so they don't matter. Paul says these people that can't do very much for us in the body of Christ. You know what I mean? You probably got some of those at your church. Anybody got some of those at your church? People that can't do much for you? We've got this whole section of, um, at our church, we've got, uh, they're like my favorite people in our church. You got this whole section of people of, of, from the recovery ministry. You know? And they're just raw. They're just themselves. I just love them. They come to the altar every service. They're just there. They raise their hands and worship. I mean, they just are just real. Now, they, they can't give a lot in the offering because they don't have anything. They are not our pool for children's workers, okay? Look at how they can help us. But he's saying the people that in the world would not matter, he's saying they're not just important, they're necessary. Those members of the body, verse 22, which seem to be weaker are necessary. Necessary. The word necessary there comes from the Greek word anakeia, which means constraining. That word is, is derived from a, from a Greek word, from a noun, anaka, which literally has the idea of force, constraint, necessity, bodily pain, anguish, or distress. And it's just talking about we need you. It's talking about we really need you like we hurt without you, like we suffer we are at a loss without you. That's how much you matter to us. And by the way, I want you to know this morning, you matter. Right here this morning, if nobody told you today, you matter. And we need you in here. And we need you on this campground. If nobody told you, I'm telling you right now. And we hurt when you're not here. We suffer, we're at a loss when you're not here. That's how much you matter. And all the people back at your church, we need them. This body, like that, that's like in the same way that I'm hungry without food or I'm going to really, my body's going to suffer without water. He's saying without you, without your fellowship, without you being a part of this body, we really do need you. So this is not lip service. This is not just the typical, oh, it's nice to have you. It's wonderful to have you here. He's saying, no, this is like really true. Like literally, really, 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 we need you. I know what you're saying. Like you're going, I don't know, John, this sounds kind of fruity to me. This sounds kind of, I don't know about it. This sounds kind of, and that's what I'm saying as I'm studying this. Remember, biblical study is not me coming in what I'm comfortable with. It's his word shaping me. This is pushing me outside of my comfort zone a little bit. And you say, I don't know, John, this sounds kind of a little fruity. This sounds a little touchy-feely maybe this morning. And I thought that until I read Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and then I felt better. So in his book, Life Together, this, here's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. I'm going to read this. You can read it with me. The, the believer feels no shame as though he were still living too much in the flesh when he yearns for the physical presence of other Christians. 
Hear that? Man was created a body. The Son of God appears on earth in the body. He was raised in the body. In the sacrament, the believer received the Lord Jesus Christ in the body. You, you take the elements into your body, in other words. And the resurrection of the dead will bring about the perfected fellowship of God's spiritual, physical creatures. We're going to have bodies in heaven. Amen? That's pretty cool. The believer, therefore, lauds the Creator, the Redeemer, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for the bodily presence of a brother. But if there is so much blessing and joy even in a single encounter of a brother with brother, how inexhaustible are the riches that open up for those who by God's will are privileged to live in the daily fellowship of life with other Christians. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Life Together. That's not just me. That's, this must be a biblical, scriptural truth. So, question this morning, why? Why is that true? Why why is it? And the conclusion seems to be that this is in the DNA of the kingdom. This is true because God has designed and built this into us. We need water. Make sure to hydrate. We need food. Get your proper rest. Listen to all the things your mom told you. And we need each other. It's in the DNA of the kingdom. That's why Paul can say in verse 21, you cannot say I don't need you not like I'm scolding you, don't say that. It's like you cannot say it because it's not true and it just doesn't work. It's impossible to say that because it would be like saying the sky is green or something, I don't know. It's just not true, it's, not, it's illogical. You cannot say it, it is the way of the kingdom, this is just the way the body of Christ is. That was true in Paul. If you look at Paul's life, what you see in Paul's life is he always depends upon Jesus. For me to live as Christ, to die as gain. Paul depended upon Jesus with his whole life, didn't he? Amen? Everybody agree with me. Paul looked at Jesus alone. God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He looked at Jesus. Yet, have you noticed how close he was with people? This has blown me away. I studied Philemon and it changed my life. You know how, I said this before, you know how like you buy a car and then all of a sudden you notice that same model everywhere? That ever happened to you? When did everybody get a Honda Odyssey? Oh, this is crazy. They were there all the time, I just didn't see it. So here I'm studying finally and I see these relationships that he has with people and I'm going, I thought all this time he was all about this preaching, which he is, but as much as it's about preaching, he's doing what the old time pastors used to tell us, preach the word and love the people. And so here he is, and, and this need and interdependence with each other, Paul is constantly having with the churches and the people that he's placed in his life, and, and God has placed him in their lives. For instance, Philippians 2.25, he said, I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and the one who ministered to me in my need. Jesus met my need now, no mistake, Jesus met my need, but it was through Epaphroditus. Right? Jesus didn't just drop my need supply out of the sky. Jesus met my need through Epaphroditus. Same thing, Philippians 4, 16, two chapters later, Philippians 4, 16. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid. You, you Philippians, 
you church in Philippi, you people sent aid once and again for my necessities. Jesus did not drop a package. He did not airlift to me a package of supplies out of the sky from heaven. Jesus met my necessities through you people. Life together. We need each other. Also, in Thessalonians, like maybe my favorite letter that I haven't studied yet. Hmm, interesting idea. So Thessalonians, he's talking to these people, and notice that he talks how he talks about them. Like in chapter 2, verse 17, he says, We, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, we endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. I couldn't wait to see your face. I love you guys so much. I want to see your face. Chapter 3, verse 10. There, same thing um, in, in 1 Thessalonians. Night and day I was praying exceedingly that we may see your face. What is it with this guy? I thought he loved Jesus. Yeah, he does. But then he can't live without us. He can't live without people. So next thing we notice about him, Paul, not only the, the Philemon thing, I probably don't need to go into that. You've some, heard some of that, some of you before. But the, uh, let's go ahead and just look at it briefly. I mean, Philemon 12 and 13, he's talking about, he's talking about this Onesimus. And, and, and when he talks about Onesimus, he's saying, you know, the story that he's sending Onesimus back to Philemon. And he's, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's discipled him, but now he's going to send this runaway slave back. And he says to Philemon there, I'm sending him back to you. That is my own heart. It's like I'm sending a piece of me with to you. I'm sending a piece of me to you. This young man has become a piece of me. That's amazing. That's crazy. That is nowhere like how I often am and how our world is. And then, and then finally, just you see this about Paul, how he's, he's just this interlinking. And so where did Paul get this from? Here's what I think. The reason this is a DNA of the kingdom, and by the way, Paul was not like this before. I don't know if you guys remember this guy named Saul of Tarsus. He was not exactly a warm, fuzzy kind of guy that loved people a lot. How did he get like this? Is it like old age just does that to you or what? No. I want to say it's what Jesus did in his heart. So if we can say this is the DNA of the kingdom because it's the DNA of the king. This way Jesus is. I believe this is the way... God is a triune God, right? God is three in one. God himself, the nature of God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, even demonstrating this interdependence upon one another, right? And when you look at a triune God, did you ever notice that the triune God never operates, the members of the, tri the Trinity never operate apart from one another. They even operate in interdependence. Father, in Colossians 1, we find out that the Father never does anything apart from the Son. He says in Colossians 1, it pleased the Father that in Him, the Son, all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself by Him. The Father has chosen that He will not operate apart from the Son. John 5 tells us, Jesus says, that I have chosen, the Son has chosen to not operate at all apart from the Father. Because then Jesus says in John 5, 19, most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself except what he sees the Father do. Whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. So Father doesn't operate apart from the Son. Son does not operate apart from the Father. John 16, we find out that the Spirit does not operate apart from either of them. 
Jesus says, he will take of what is mine and make it known to you. He will glorify me. So the Spirit is always pointing to him. Jesus is always revealing the Father. The Father is always working through the Son, through the Holy Spirit. There is this amazing interdependence in the Trinity. Even God, can I say this? Even God needs in relationship. God demonstrates this willingness the heart of God in this interdependence. Then we see that in, in the incarnation of Jesus. You ever thought about that? Isn't it true that Jesus chose, when he became one of us, Jesus chose to become interdependent even with, with us? I don't mean to get too theological this morning, but Jesus actually did live in the womb of Mary, right? Was there an umbilical cord? Did Jesus need his mom? Or as a, as a newborn, did Jesus look back up at Mary in full man voice when he needed his diaper change and said, no worries, mom, I got this? Did Jesus need his mom? Their dependence. Mary, Martha, Lazarus. Jesus goes to their house. He becomes like family with them, right? He weeps when Lazarus dies. That's not put on. There's this, you understand what I'm saying? Even Jesus, there's this, like, I need you. The Garden of Gethsemane, it's like essentially Jesus is looking at those guys to say, well, can you watch and pray with me? I really, I really could use you guys this hour, right? In his humanity. Fully God, fully man. So it's not like unspiritual, it's not like weird, it's not like crazy. When we begin to talk about in terms of like the section where we're at in in this, we're talking about relationship here in the body of Christ and part of relationship is dependence. Part of relationship is not unhealthy independence, not idolatry, but that there is a healthy interdependence upon each other and that's what love is, right? And that's why, coincidence, the next chapter is 13, right? Because part of relationship and part of love is this willingness to become vulnerable and to open yourself up to needing, right? Like relationship and love is becoming vulnerable and saying, I need you. And I'm just wrestling through this this morning with you, but like when you think about marriage or any relationships, I mean, I have this feeling that sometimes in my life I thought like, this is too like weird or it's unspiritual. So like, I really need to like essentially say to my wife, you know, honey, I, Jesus meets all my needs and I don't need you, you know. Like we think we have to be spiritual, but is there anything more hurtful than that in relationship to say, yeah, I, don't, I, I could live without you? Isn't true love and relationship that God has built into us to say, listen, God has knit our lives together and I really do need you, right? I mean, anybody want to hear from your spouse that they need you? I mean, not in an unhealthy way. Anybody want to hear from their kids that they need you still? Any, any parents of adult children want to know that they still need you? <laughs> and I'm not talking about in unhealthy idolatry. I'm talking about that's relationship. Relationship is this And so the body of Christ, we really do need each other. If if you've never heard it before, and if you've never heard me say it, you're needed. 
You're needed here. You're needed at your local church in the body of Christ. In the body of Christ, we really do need each other because each one matters. And that is, that is because God has chosen. He does not drop supply, you know, airdrop out of the sky to meet all the needs of my life. Jesus is the supply of our need, but often or most often, maybe all the time, he does it through, through people. Think about the last time God did something for you and then ask this question, who did he, who did he work through? So, finally this, and, and I'll wrap up. This is the normal of the kingdom. This is, this is two plus two equals four. This is not weird. And if you think John's weird, forget John, listen to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, okay? This is the, how the body of Christ is. This is this is normal. And yet there's this paradox. I'm, I'm struggling. I, I feel even maybe this morning, Maybe there's some of you kind of going, I, I don't know what I think about this. This seems like an, like an incredible paradox. This seems like a story. We're talking about relationship with him, relationship with others, all right? Which, which, which is that? We're talking about all my needs are met in him or he meets my needs in others. Exactly how does that work? We're talking about one body, many members. There's this like paradox, this puzzle. I have, I have no idea how to do that. <laughs> how my mind's exploding. How does all this work exactly? Well, I think you know the answer already. The whole point of the letter is he's the source. The whole point of the letter is only he is the one that makes this work. So depend upon him. Forget everything I said this morning, but just depend upon Jesus and he'll do this in you. If you are depending upon Jesus, if Jesus is working in my heart, the natural course of sanctified living is we will find ourselves an incredible increasing interdependence with others in the body of Christ, a knitting of our lives together. And so without him, if, if that's not true, it's going to go one of the other directions. It's going to become an unhealthy, you know, inter, you know codependency, or it's going to become an unhealthy independence where I don't need anybody. So simply this morning, what this is, is a this is, and this is the title chapter of the book and the study, this is a declaration of dependence. The design of God is relationship with Jesus, relationship with others. What are the two greatest commandments? Love God with all your heart. And if you have extra time, if you have any energy left over, Love your neighbor as yourself. It's not part one, part two, as much as it's the two sides of the coin, right? It's the, it's the two equal parts that it's who he is and it's what he does. And so if you think about it, if you've ever played Jenga, you, you kind of have a picture of what I'm looking at this morning. We, we really do need each other in the body, right? I mean, what Paul's saying in this thing is pull one of those pieces out and we're going to feel it. Do you ever think of yourself as a Jenga piece? I mean, that'll raise your self-esteem today, right? Some of you are going, what's Jenga? Anyway, we'll talk to you, but I'll tell you afterward. So he's our supply. So let me ask this today as we, as we get ready to wrap up. How does Jesus want to do this in my life today? How does Jesus want to sit me on a Southwest Airlines flight um, Thursday morning? Trina gets to go with me. So there won't be a middle empty seat because there'll be two of us. 
But how does Jesus want to sit me on a Southwest Airlines flight next Thursday heading to Minneapolis? How does Jesus want to sit me on a Southwest Airlines flight and give me his eyes that say, remember Brandon Heath? Brandon Heath sang a song many years ago, Give Me Your Eyes. How does Jesus want to sit me on a Southwest Airlines flight and say, these people, we, these people are needed because they matter, not for what they can do for me? How does Jesus want to take me back to my local church and say, these people really, we need them because they matter to Jesus and they matter to me? Where on this campground this week does, does somebody need to know they're needed because they matter? As a matter of fact, I'd like to be asking this question lately. Um, who might need to be needed today? Now, I'm not talking about just feeding people self-centeredness, but I'm talking about ministry. Who maybe might need to be needed today? I'll tell you the reason I put this in. <laughs> so, my wife and I are in this new thing, this new chapter, where um, for... We, we homeschool for 19 years. We tried to talk Carrie into doing one more year of high school, you know, but he wouldn't, so. Make it even 20. Graduate 2020, much better graduation year, you know, all that. So we homeschool, we're very close, and now we're in this new chapter, to make it short, we're in this new chapter where he's away, little communication. I think some of you um, who have adult children, you, you can totally relate to this. Even a one-sentence text means the world. Even three words makes your day. You know what I mean? We got two handwritten letters from the boy, and we about fell over. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're going to frame those. I mean, those, those are going to be like... We're laminating those, you know, those are treasures to us. And it just got me thinking over this last month. Maybe my mom needs to hear from me more. Not just because I need something, maybe she needs to be needed. And I wonder who else in my life today just needs to know they're needed because they matter. So Jesus, please, would you give me your view? Um, one more thing, and, I, and I'll finish. I want to live like that. I had this thought, um, I think it was a couple years ago, when we had the, actually I was sitting in this very tabernacle with the memorial service, and... Uh, um, it was actually when uh, uh, Sharon Key name was being mentioned and uh, all that discussion and all the testimonies and you know how like we are in the memorial service and like there's this just this love just the all point of love and appreciation and the conviction came by my heart Lord I want to live like that <laughs> I don't want I don't in my own life with my mom or any, I don't want to wait to express what they mean. I want them to know they're needed right now. You guys have been that to us. Thank you for your ministry to us. I want you to know if nobody else told you today, you're really needed. 
because you matter. Jesus, thank you today for what you're doing in our hearts and lives, and I just thank you for this truth, and I pray that you would give us those eyes today to see people for how much they matter, how much they matter. We love you today. Minister through us, minister to us through one another, and just may there be an overflow, exponential overflow of your presence in this place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you shortly.